Hi, this is John from Prodigal Church. We want to thank you for listening to this week's teaching. The best way to watch and listen is through our Prodigal mobile app, available at your app store. We hope you are moved to love God and others in a greater way. Now, let's dive right into this week's teaching. We here at Prodigal are super excited for our 90s throwback sermon series. We love this decade. Uh, This decade was my jam. uh, And we've got a lot of fun, creative things planned throughout this series. Uh, both here online and also at our in-person services. And so if you are watching this online, um, we love that you are just as part of Prodigal as those who attend in person, but we do want to see you. We want to see your smiling faces. And so we want to encourage you over the next several weeks during this series to try, if you can, and if you're comfortable, to be at 10 a.m. at our Fort Washington Outdoor Services. We've got some extra fun things planned for our in-person gatherings, um, but we've also got some unique things just for you here, our online audience. Thanks for joining us. Um, lots of things have changed since the 1990s. Uh, I graduated high school in 1999, and so I spent all my teenage years all up in that decade, and it was an absolute blast. Now, some of the words have changed quite a bit. Her story of a, an older pastor in his mid to late 70s, and some of the words that he had been using growing up have also changed. Like when he was a kid, his mother used to wash her pantyhose in the sink and then she would hang them up to dry in the bathroom. And so anybody ever done that or maybe seen that back in the day? Okay, that's a, that's a while ago. But that's how he grew up. He would go into the bathroom and his mom's pantyhose were hanging all over the place. And so many, many years later, when he is an old man and he's preaching to his own church on Father's Day, and they were doing that thing where they acknowledge the family that has the most children. And some traditional churches still do this. Um, And so they were recognizing the dad with the most kids. And so they called him forward to receive his award on the stage. And so he gets to the stage next to the pastor and the pastor asks him, you won the award for the most amount of children. How many kids do you have? And the man says, I have eight. And the pastor says, what's the breakdown between the boys and the girls? And the dad says, I have eight girls. And the pastor, oblivious to pop culture nowadays, says, eight girls. That's a lot of hoes in the bathroom. Okay. Language changes over time. And the words and phrases that we said back in the 1990s or even way back in the day like this guy aren't quite as cool anymore. They mean something a little bit different. And for those of you who don't remember or who weren't around for the 1990s, let me translate some of these 90s phrases for you. The first one is psych. Psych. This word was used to indicate a reversal of a previous statement which was often used in a mean-spirited way, okay? Um, Here, let me give you this candy bar, psych, and then you take a bite of it yourself, okay? It's very similar to not, okay? Not was before the famous psych. Um, And then there's no duh, no duh. Uh, The 90s were all about attitude and no, no duh was the king of attitude. So you did this with an eye roll. If someone said something that's so obvious, you said, no duh. And if they were really annoying to you, you would go with no doy. And uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Then there's take a chill pill. Uh, When you need to calm down, you need to tell someone to take a chill pill. I still use this phrase on occasion. Another 90s question was, what's the 411? What's the news? What's the information? What's the gossip of the day? Uh, some of you millennials, do you even know wh- what happens when you dial 411? Okay. I don't know. I don't know if you do. Uh, who remembers the, the, the late 90s classic, 
Who's on the phone? I'm trying to get up on the internet. Okay? Yeah, dial-up internet was a thing that we had in the late 1990s. And there were countless others. Okay, we don't have time to, to, to go through all of them, but there's Jinx. There's fat with a PH, there's that's my name, don't wear it out, there's as if, there's whatever, and then finally, hasta la vista, baby. These are 90s phrases, and if you weren't around for that decade, man, you missed out. But here throughout this sermon series, we're going to be helping you, enlightening you on some of these TV shows that we watched in the 90s, and kind of unpacking them and seeing them from a biblical perspective. So it's going to be a lot of Bible and a, a lot less TV show, but we're going to have some fun times. And today we're going to be talking about Home Improvement. And at my house, we loved this show. Uh, Home Improvement's a show about an accident-prone uh, tool man who, who ran a, a, lo a local cable show about tools named Tim the Toolman Taylor. And he was macho, okay? He grunts throughout the show. <clears throat> And he has his own garage that has like a, a hot rod that he's building in it that never seems to be done. He's married to his wife, Jill, and they have three boys together. And fun fact, the mom in the show, the girl who plays Jill, her name is actually in real life the same name as my mom. And so we used to always tease my mom about that way back in the day throughout the 1990s. Now, there are a couple other characters in this show. Uh, there's Tim's trusty assistant on the show, Al Borland. Uh, and he's kind of the, always the, the butt of the joke for Tim. Um, and then there's Tim's neighbor. Anybody remember his name? Right? Wilson. Wilson. Nearly every episode, Tim would have a problem of some sort. And then he would go to his backyard, and there his neighbor, his trusty neighbor, Wilson, would be there. And Tim would just tell him all the problems, and uh, they would have this amazing conversation. And Wilson would never show his face. Just the top of his face peering over the fence. And Wilson would never really give advice, but he would rather ask questions to Tim uh, and help Tim figure it out on his own. Now, in doing some of my sermon research, uh, and I say that very loosely, sermon research for this week, uh, I found a fan site that has a bunch of theories regarding uh, Wilson and particularly the show Home Improvement. And one of the theories was that Wilson, Tim's neighbor, was God. Okay, I know, I know. Here's what they wrote. They said, Wilson has obvious wisdom and seemingly endless knowledge. When asked question, questions, Wilson answers with a question, something that Jesus always did. And then they said that there's biblical evidence. Look at Exodus 33. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. This would explain why we can never see Wilson's full face in the show Home Improvement. And also one episode, Wilson seems to give life to wooden ducks that he has carved, and another, he appears at two places at once. And also, Tim going out there to confess to a faceless person is awful lot like the Catholic uh, practice of confession. So there you have it. Wilson is God. Wilson from the 90s show, uh, Home Improvement, was also the inspiration for Joan Osborne's classic hit, What If God Was One of Us? Now, our focus this morning is not on a 90s show about an accident-prone tool man. No, our focus is on being a good neighbor. And that's what Wilson was. Um, and that's what Tim was to him. And now I'm not talking about being a good neighbor like just to the people next to you. I do mean that for sure. But when I say we are going to be talking about our need to be a good neighbor, I'm referring to neighbor the way Jesus used it, the way Jesus defined it. Um, see, one time Jesus was asked by some religious people, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells this 
fantastic story, very famous story, which I will modernize for us here in the 559. He tells the story of a man who was walking from River Park to Chick-fil-A when he fell into the hands of robbers. He was beaten, bloody, and bashed, and a pastor drove by, and if he helped the wounded man, it would hinder him from leading the small group that he was driving towards. He would become ritually unclean, and how could he help others if he's a bloody mess himself? And so he was on his way to do his job. He couldn't be late, so he passed by on the other side of the road. Then a church volunteer drove by, and this person, this person loved the church. Uh, this person had all the church t-shirts. They sit in the front uh, every week, and they tie 10%. And during quarantine, this person watched every single online service. Not only that, uh, they shared it to their own page so that more people could watch it. They, they uh, wear every church t-shirt. They've got church bumper stickers. This church volunteer likes every single post from their church's social media. And this person, she too, drives by the wounded man. Uh, she drives by with the church bumper sticker on, her, on the end. She passed by on the other side of the road. Then the pastor and the church volunteer met at Cup of Joy uh, with a few other believers. And they had a Bible study, small group Bible study. And they began to share what they encountered on their way to Cup of Joy. And what's this world coming to? It's so bad out there. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. And they had a nice little Bible study and prayer meeting about that man hurt and wounded on the side of the road. And then Jesus says, a young Muslim man from Saudi Arabia was leaving his welcome home party. You see, he had spent the last year and a half uh, finishing his studies back in his home country of Saudi Arabia. And his family uh, in California just thrown this, this, this lavish, great party, lots of gifts. And he got this new jacket that he'd been wanting. And he got these new Las Vegas Raiders um, seat covers for his car. And now he's driving back to his apartment on Barstow and Fresno and he sees a man bloody and beaten under the 41 overpass on Nees Avenue. And he pulls over and he places his new jacket on the wounded man, picks him up and puts him in his car on top of his brand new Las Vegas Raider seat covers and takes him to Kaiser Permanente. And then, uh, at Kaiser, while checking him in, he pays for all the man's medical expenses with the graduation money that he had just received at his own party. And then after telling this story, Jesus asked the religious people who asked him, who's my neighbor? And Jesus says, which person was the neighbor to the beaten man? The one who showed mercy, they said. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. What Jesus is saying is, Everyone is your neighbor. And it's even more scandalous than that. He's saying even those who you consider your enemies is your neighbor. Notice the one who asked Jesus the question couldn't even say that the man was a Samaritan or in our case, a Muslim. They said, it's the one who showed mercy. Notice also in the parable that the two religious people chose not to be a neighbor to that person. We get a say-so in it. The good Samaritan made himself, volunteered himself to be a neighbor to the wounded man, and the two religious people refused to be his neighbor. We have a call from Christ, but we get a choice in the matter. 
Check out this other parable that Jesus says in Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. For you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Notice these goats on the left are not condemned for the sins of commission, but for their sins of omission. They are not rebuked for what they did, they're rebuked for what they did not do. What they could have done, but refused, held back. And for all the Christians that proclaim God's judgment on people for doing all the wrong things, could God be in a seat of judgment for them for what those Christians are not doing for their neighbors? For how they are not acting on behalf of love and grace and God. A traveler fell into a deep pit and couldn't get out. Several people came along, saw him struggling in the pit. And the sensitive person said, I feel for you down there. The reflective person said, it's logical that someone would fall into the pit. It's obvious. The judgmental person says, only bad people fall into the pit. The curious person says, how in the world did you get down in the bottom of the pit? The perfectionist says, I believe that you deserve to be in that pit. The self-pitying person, that's nothing. You should have seen my pit. The optimist says, cheer up. Things could be worse. The pessimist says, be prepared. Things will get worse. And Jesus, seeing the man, took him by the hand, lifted him out of the miserable pit. As a Christian, we are called to go do likewise. Perhaps we as church people, as listening to this podcast, watching this on the internet, or attending in person, we are much more guilty of the sins of omission than the sins of commission. When someone is in need, the only response for the Christ follower is to do something about it. Saying that you'll go pray about it doesn't do anything. Saying that you'll help later doesn't count. Doing something does. May we act. What are you doing to love others? I don't really want to move on from that question. I, I want us to sit with it for a second. Really, what are you doing to love others? Not just those that you already love. Not just those in your household. Not just those that are very easy to love, but those who are very difficult to love. What are you doing to love them? Someone in your office is an outcast. Befriend them. Someone in your circle of friends is hurting. Reach out to them. Someone in your neighborhood had their house broken into. Do a yard sale and give them all the proceeds. Is there someone hurting in your life? Invite them, encourage them, love them. A mouse looked through a crack in the wall to see the farmer and his wife opening a package. And he was curious about what food it might contain. And he was aghast to discover that it was a mousetrap. 
Retreating to the farmyard, the mouse proclaimed to anybody who would listen, there's a mouse trap in the house. There's a mouse trap in the house. And the chicken clucked and scratched her head and said, Mr. Mouse, I can tell you that that may be a grave concern for you, but it's certainly of no concern for me. Then the mouse turned to the pig and said, there's a mouse trap in the house. There's a mouse trap in the house. And the pig says, I'm sorry, Mr. Mouse. And he sympathized, but there's nothing I can do about it. Surely someone else is able to help. The mouse turned to the cow who said, wow, Mr. Mouse, oh, I'm so scared of your mouse trap." So the mouse returned to the house, head down, dejected to face the farmer's mouse trap alone. And that very night, a loud <laughs> was sound throughout the house, like the sound of a, a mouse trap catching its prey. The farmer's wife did not see what was caught. So in the darkness, she did not see that it was not a mouse caught in the trap, but rather a venomous snake. And as she reached towards the snake in the darkness, she was bitten. And the farmer rushed his wife to the hospital and she returned home with a fever. Now everyone knows how you treat a fever. Well, you treat it with chicken noodle soup. So the farmer went to the farm and slaughtered the chicken and cooked it up for chicken noodle soup. And his wife's sickness continued so that friends and neighbors came to be with her around the clock. And to feed all these people visiting, the farmer had to go butcher the pig. And the farmer's wife, unfortunately, did not get well. In fact, she died. And so many came to her funeral and the cow was slaughtered to provide meat for the family and friends who attended. So the next time you hear that someone is facing a problem and it doesn't concern you, we need to remember that when the least of us is threatened, all of us are threatened. Or as Jesus put it, which one was the neighbor to the wounded man? The one who showed mercy. Go and do likewise. See, we must act. We must serve. We must forgive. We must love. There is this togetherness with us as humans. The Bible calls it lots of things. Um, and we would call it one anotherness. That's what I like to call it. The New Testament refers to this. Look at Romans 13, 8, love one another. Romans 15, 7, accept one another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. Colossians 3, 16, teach one another. Hebrews 10, encourage one another. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens. And there are many more. I'd love to do a sermon series on all the one another's found in the New Testament. But this one anotherness has been at the heart of the teachings of Jesus for the last 2,000 years. Look at what an ancient non-Christian Greek philosopher had to say about Christians in the year 125. This was before the Roman emperor Hadrian, and he was speaking about normal Christians, and he said this, he who has gives to him who has not without grudging. When one of their poor passes away from the world and any of them sees him, then he provides for his burial according to his ability. If they hear that any of their number is imprisoned or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it is possible that he may be delivered, they will deliver him. If there is among them a man that is poor or needy and they have not an abundance of necessities, they fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with their necessary food. That sounds like one anotherness to me. Isn't that amazing that before the emperor of Rome, a non-Christian philosopher is speaking about normal Christians. 
and he's blown away by their generosity and by their sacrificial love. Here at Prodigal Church, we are together and not having it together. And if we move towards Jesus together, we might get more things together. My encouragement for us, that when we see a need, that we do our best to meet it. As they said before, the Emperor Hadrian, that if, if, if one of their people doesn't have enough food, it, it didn't say that they would give them money so they could buy food. It says that they didn't have any money to buy food. So they fasted for three days. They themselves did not eat so that someone else could. This is the heart of Jesus. This should be the heartbeat of us as Christians. This should be the heartbeat of the church. This should be the heartbeat of prodigal church. And so we're generous instead of stingy. We, we sympathize instead of criticize. We give, we don't take. We forgive, we don't seek revenge. We love, we don't hate. We show grace, we don't judge. Would that be true for you, for your household? May we be, listen to the Spirit. May we follow the Spirit's lead in loving others, in doing these one another, encouraging one another, forgiving one another, bearing one another's burdens, loving one another in Jesus' name. God, we thank you so much for your word and how you call us to act, how you call us to generosity, how you call us to sacrificial love, how you call us to help those who have needs. So those people in our office that are annoying, that nobody likes, God, could we befriend them? The neighbor who has made us angry, could we pray for them? And God, that even as we drive past the overpass on Nice and 41, or on Blackstone, or in downtown Fresno, or in Old Town Clubs, or wherever we may be, may we have a sensitivity to your spirit to lead us to show love to everybody always. In Jesus' name, amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. We want to invite you to join us next week in person, outdoors, at Fort Washington Elementary School at 10 a.m. Um, and we're just going to have an absolute blast. And so we hope you have a great week. And remember, if you get knocked down, you'll get back up again. Peace in the middle of